Not sure if we have any kids in our service at this point. If we do, we have some activity sheets up here. We'd love for you to come grab, and maybe they'll be a little bit profitable for you while you're during that time. So feel free to come on up. Don't be embarrassed, and we'd love to have you come grab one. Also, it looks like one of our weird animals just really doesn't want to stop VBS. He's just kind of hanging out in the bushes. And so he's keeping an eye on you to make sure you don't fall asleep during my sermon while we're going through this. <laughs> Anyways. I've been grateful for the time this summer to just spend some little time away. I, you know, I, actually, I was thinking about it. It was 30 years ago this month that I started in a vocational Christian ministry. It was in the... August of 1984, that the Grace Temple Baptist Church of Denton, Texas, called me to be their part-time minister of college students. And um, I was in seminary at the time and had three years to go and served that church for those, that three-year period, and actually until May of 1987. And uh, it was a good church, church of about seven or 800, and just a, two campuses in town. It was just a, a tremendous place to kind of learn and grow and Christina and I had been married a, a whopping like three weeks when I went on to their staff, and so it was a lot of our formative years, even of our marriage, and then graduated in May of 87, so the Sunday before was my last Sunday, graduated that week, and two weeks later, I was preaching my first sermon at my church in Hanover, which consisted of about six people down on the South Shore here in Massachusetts, meeting on Sunday nights in an Episcopal church, and I served there for, for seven years until 1994, and... Um, it was a great time. We had bought land, built a building, rebuilt it after an arson fire. Just it was a tremendous time and, and, and really expected to be there for many more years at that point in time. But God had other plans, and I was invited and eventually felt like God's hand was really in me, taking a role with our regional denomination called the Baptist Convention of New England, which we're a part of, even as Hope Chapel. And so I, I, I ended my service, my full-time service with, with uh, Fellowship Baptist and in April of 1980, 1994, and the very next day, I started with the Baptist Convention of New England, served in there until full-time, until July of 2003. And uh, during that whole journey, many times I had, I had more than one job. I was doing an interim pastorate or being the interim executive director, and actually for the last 16, 17 months of it, I was planting Hope Chapel. So I was working there during a the week and doing this on the weekends. And then in 2003, we just flipped it. I was working full-time for Hope Chapel and doing a day or a week for the Baptist Convention in New England in the area of pastoral leadership development. And that really kind of brings us up to today. And, and I was thinking over those 30 years, I've only had two opportunities to really take a break, if you will, to step back from all the melee of being involved in people's lives and preaching the, just the, the tremendous riches of God's Word from cover to cover and all that kind of stuff to really take a step back and, and really take a look. One of those was when I was at the church in Hanover. And, um, you know, I, I was a younger pastor then, I had more energy, and, and I had about three and a half to four weeks, you know, and, and I, the objective of, of, of my time off was I wanted to be like Moses. I wanted to go to the mountaintop, you know, I wanted to have God write the plan out on the tablets, and I wanted to come down from the mountain carrying the tablets saying, I've got the answers, you know, and, and so I worked really hard at that. And I came back, and I remember that the sermon series was, you know, uh, a church on the move, towards the heart of God, out with the heart of all this kind of stuff. And, and all it did over the first three or four weeks was just make everybody tired, you know. And, and, and it made me tired. You know, this time around, I, I, I really felt like I wanted to take a different tack to it. And it was much more of an Elijah-type experience, you know. You know Elijah, you know, was, 
had the big battle on top of Mount Carmel with all prophets of Baal, whatever. Tremendous victory. And then he just needed to go sit underneath the tree, sleep a lot, let God feed him and encourage him, and then kind of get back on the way. And he calls Elisha in the ministry and kind of moves on and that kind of thing. And that's, that's much more of what I was really hoping to be about this time. Some of it I wanted to travel. Christina and I, during this, the tease, season off, we, we, we um, celebrated our 30th anniversary. And so we got to spend, yay! If you just knew her better, you know it's a miracle that I put up with her for this long. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but we, we, our goal was to spend 30 days uh, for 30 years, but we didn't quite get there. We spent about 25 days traveling, and we had a chance to travel primarily in, in Europe. Went through, um, started in Poland, and went through Slovakia, Hungary, Austria, and traveled down to Italy, where we spent time in Venice and Rome, as well as down on the, um, the Bay of Naples area, and it was just really a great time. A great time to see a different part of the world. It's also time for me just really just to rest and reflect. And the reflection in many ways just really kind of took the form of, you know, I was doing some reading as, as I always do, and though, though I'm not necessarily an inclined natural reader, I just don't like passionate about reading all the time, but I, I read quite a bit. But I was also trying just to review a lot of the sermons that I've preached over these last 12 years at Hope Chapel to get a feel kind of where we've been and kind of, you know, where we might need to go and what we need to renew and all that kind of good stuff. And you know, that's a lot harder than it sounds. You know, I was thinking, all right, I'll need a week for that. You know, I've, I've been here for 12 years. That's like 600 sermons. You know, and, and, it's, it, it, and you can't process a sermon like three minutes. You know, I mean, you, you, so you, you, you look at it. By the time you get done, a sermon series can take you half a day. You know, it's, it's tough to get through in the course of a week to get even through, you know, a couple of years. But, but I, I got a good feeling in there and, uh, of kind of what was going on and et cetera and, you know, a couple things that, that really stood out to me. One is, is, in some ways, we've had a tremendous New Testament bias in our journey. And so one of the things I hope to do over the next uh, 12 months or so is just spend a little bit more time in the Old Testament. And I'm working up some stuff right now from the book of 1 Samuel, which is just a tremendous story, uh, tremendous the lessons that we can learn about faith and walking with God and meeting challenges and seizing opportunities and just really being a person of God. And so it'll be a, be a great journey, and that'll start just a little later I also, there were some things that, you know, the, the, there are some things that I, I, I encountered, if you will, are, are things that, these are things that always need to be before us. You know, they're, they're just kind of things that God said before, but they need to be said again. They're things that need to be kind of ringing in our ears, things that, that, that are so core to who we are and what we're about that sometimes it's really easy to forget those things. And so um, I'm going to do a short series here at the beginning of the, of the fall as we kind of work through the beginning of our year, just called throwbacks. You know, I'm called, using that word throwbacks. And, and um, today I want to draw a sermon out of a series we did a couple of years ago called GC Squared. It's like three or four years ago. GC Squared. It stood for the Great Commandments and the Great Commission. Now, I know that should be GC Cubed, but we usually refer to the idea of the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Those are the two things that church is really built on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, and love your neighbor as yourself. And go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. In some ways, that's the foundation of the church. And, and they're really all tied together. Because as we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, 
we really come to love the things that God loves. And God loves people, <laughs> right? God loves people. You know, and if we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, now certainly that means we want to make sure they've got enough oil in their tank in the coldest days of the winter. We want to make sure they've got enough food on their table. We want to make sure they have enough clothes. We want to make sure their kids get educated well, all kind of stuff. We, we treat them with respect and dignity and all those kind of good things. But there's a part in there as well where you have to accept the fact that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of eternal life is Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we really love our neighbors, we have to be giving our faith away. And so that brings you right up to the Great Commission. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, that I, this idea of, of, of giving our faith away, reaching people. You know, we, we're going to put the signs back in here next week. We're compelled to reach, you know. And we've had, that's been an emphasis of ours all the way along, of, of trying to actively share our faith with other people. It's interesting to me how far that can kind of get... Out of, out, of, out of the whack, that the main thing no longer stays the main thing anymore. Let me, let me give you a couple of experiences that, just, we just, uh, that really just stood out to me from my experiences this summer. You know, one is, um, first of all, as we traveled in, in, in Europe, we went to a, a lot of major cathedrals and basilicas, right? You know, obviously the, the biggest one was in Rome. We went to the Vatican, St. Peter's Basilica, and it is just an incredible piece of architecture. And even more so on the inside than the outside. I mean, you really, you can see it from the outside, but it's got so many buildings around it. But when you go inside of it, it is just incredible, you know? And, and clearly, you know, there was a big drive that what we, what we build in the name of God, we want to somehow say what we believe about God, so we want it to be magnificent. But, but we went to other places. We, we, we went to St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna, you know, and, and really it, the, the, the steeple on the thing is just really pretty incredible, you know. And I think they're constantly working on it. I think if they get done with one, they do one side, they do another, this and that, and then they got to go back and start all over again. But it's, it, it's just incredible. And, and literally from, from miles away on the top of a, of a hill where we went out to have coffee, when you can look in, and it is the dominant feature of the city. It's just incredible. We went to a, a smaller church there called St. Peter's. We went for an organ concert. You know, and, and, and even it was pretty impressive. Of course, St. Mark's uh, Basilica in Venice, you know, right in the square. You know, <laughs> the interesting thing, we, you know, we, we stood in line, we got in, we did our thing, we went up to the, the upper terrace, et cetera. And by the time we came back out, they were putting ramps out because literally the church was getting flooded with the high tide. The water's coming through the floor into their foyer and their entranceway and into the building because the whole thing is just sinking. But it's, it's an impressive structure. But one of the things that struck me is that in all of those churches, not only they were charging fees to get in and all that kind of stuff, but so much of what they were doing was built about having enough resources to take care of their facility. They were looking for money to keep fixing all the stuff that's really old. And, and I'm sure it cost a fortune, just an absolute fortune to do that. Um, and, uh, and, but it seems to me that that a lot of their mission was about preserving what they had done, the buildings that they had built, rather than focusing on what they were doing with the message that God had given them. Now, we weren't there for any worship experiences, but that was just a thought that really struck me. Secondly, they're just, they're just plopped down in the middle of tremendous lostness. Europe is, is tremendously secular. 
much like our, probably even more so than our region of the country. The other thing that struck me is that I, I went to worship at some other churches during my time off. One of them, I went to a church that I'm known at. I went to Seven Hills one Sunday, you know, and, and so a lot of people knew me there. Whatever. Went to another church in our region on a Sunday morning, and uh, it's a place actually I've spoken at before at a special service, but I went there and um, got there, you know, at appropriate time. It's not like I showed up after the service started and left before it was over. I got there about five, eight minutes before it started, went into the lobby, went and had a seat, Worship with them, got up, went out in the lobby, kind of looked around, kind of, kind of thing, and then left. Not a single soul spoke to me while I was there. Not a single person. Now, this is a church like us that believes in the gospel, believes that there is tremendous value in spiritual community where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them, right? And you've got to be gathered together with other believers to experience this kind of sense of special power, and yet not a single person reached out and said, hey, I'm Bill, or I'm Debbie, or whatever, you know? And not a single one of them offered me spiritual community. They, did, they didn't know if I was seeking the Lord, or any, they didn't know anything, but just no thing. Now, they were catching up with one another. They all looked happy. Some of them you could tell by listening a little bit. They were working, oh, you know, yeah, can we meet on Wednesday night? They're doing some church business. In the midst of all, this is all good stuff, but somehow or another, the main thing wasn't the main thing. So then I, Recently, this past Sunday, I went to another church in a bordering state. Same thing. Well, case in point, one of the staff members is a guy that I was an interim pastor over a number of years ago, and he recognized me, and he talked to me. But he had to leave while the service was going on, so after the service was over and I was out in the lobby, not, not a single person spoke to me. Not a single one. Now, i got to tell you, that, that happens here. We even got an email this week from somebody who revered somebody here and said they've been there a couple times and nobody's spoken to them yet. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, we, we believe in the gospel, right? We, we believe that if people do not have a personal faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to miss out on the abundance of what God offers us in life, not here, but also for all of eternity. We, we believe that. And yet somehow or another, when we look across the room, we are scared to death to go talk to somebody else, or we think it's somebody else's job. And the main thing is no longer the main thing anymore. It's, it's somewhere else. And so those were tremendous experiences for me, you know, as I, I processed that. And listen, I, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but one of the messages that we need to hear from God over and over again is the fact that we are on this planet primarily to go as ambassadors for Christ, to be his witnesses. Or as Matthew puts it in Matthew chapter 28, and I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I think sometimes when you see it in black and white, it just adds a little extra to what I'm saying about it. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 844. I just want to run through a few things out of this text today just to remind. We, we need to... We need to hear this continuing message of that we need to be the people who are offering spiritual community to others. Not only the step of faith into Christ, but also to get it connected and to grow so they can serve in the name of Christ. This Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, you know, really there, there's a tremendous emphasis on 
the Great Commission throughout really all of the New Testament writings. You know, John's version is, in John chapter 20 is, you know, as the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so send I you. So our mission is exactly the same as Jesus, minus the dying on the cross part for the sins of the world. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Luke puts it this way, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Matthew records Jesus saying it this way. See, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, which is what Jesus had instructed them to do, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but, but some doubted. I think the idea of some doubted there was the idea of there, there was enough of a kind of a variety. Jesus looked, somehow looked a little different, and so they were wondering if it was the exact same person kind of idea. I think he was starting to embrace some of his glorified body, if you will. Then Jesus came near, and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Guys, the fact that I'm up from the grave, walking around, beginning to embrace my glorified body, is evidence to you that I, I, I can push the buttons on it all. I'm in charge of it all, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if I was one of the disciples... When Jesus got done saying this, is, I want to raise my hand and say, I got a question. If, if you've got all authority and all power, why don't you just take us with you now? <laughs> I don't want to just take us with you now. I'm ready for heaven, you know. Or if you get a no answer to that, say, you know, if you've got all authority and all power, why don't you just make this easier? Just, just why don't you make all the oceans in the world shaped like a cross, you know, or in every mountain shaped like a cross. So, so we, it can just be easy for us to say, see, that's the truth. He doesn't do it that way. Instead, he says, I, I got all authority. And in this, this authority, I'm saying, you guys go and keep doing what I was doing. Telling the good news. Now, if you, I, I know that, that, that our reaction to this is that we get intimidated. How many of you find it intimidating? And when, when somebody new shows up and you don't know them and you don't talk to them, it's because you don't like people? I don't think that's the case. I, don't think, I know most of you pretty well, and it's not like you say, I hate people. I just don't want to talk. I hate people. You know, I mean, that's, that's not where you're at. It's just a little intimidating. What am I going to say? You know, we get a little intimidated. Now, when we think about the fact that Jesus has given us responsibility to propagate the only message in the world that could actually produce eternal life, it gets pretty scary. It's flat-out intimidating. In some ways, we, we find it embarrassing because we can get rejected, or we're afraid of being embarrassed because we're not going to know all the answers. So sometimes I think that, that you and I, we, we get intimidated By its, it, literally by the very nature of the Great Commission. I, I love the story of, uh, of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was an evangelist in the 20th century and et cetera. And 
And, and so he, he, was a, he was a very effective missionary and evangelist. And, and so he was, he was speaking at a, at a place one time. And, and after the service, this guy came up to him and said, you know, after listening to you tonight, I'm going to become a missionary. And so D.L. Moody asked him, said, well, what do you do for a living? What's your work? He said, well, I, I'm, I'm an engineer on a train. I'm a train engineer. And he says, well, how many, how many guys have you shared the gospel with where you work? He said, none. He said, well, go and start being a missionary there first. You know? And, and that is pretty intimidating to us. Right? That God expects me and who I am and the places that I go, whether it's just a part of this life or somehow or another I answer God's call to cross barriers, to connect with other nations, to other people groups, etc. That God expects me to actually share my faith with other people. We find that intimidating. And that what we share and how we interact with them, somehow or another is going to lead them to a faith decision that they're going to land up expressing that faith through baptism. So baptism here reflects the fact that they actually become followers or believers in Jesus Christ. And then as we make disciples, disciples means to, to learn, to sort of learn from, they're going to learn from Christ. They're going to become a learn from And we're, we have a role in teaching them to observe everything that Jesus taught us. And that, by its very nature, is flat-out intimidating. Right? Everybody agree? It's, it's scary stuff. To tell you the truth, I don't think God would have it any other way. That may seem strange, but if you stay around this afternoon, you get well, We also get intimidated by its scope. You know, it's, it's supposed to be for all the nations. You know, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting sometimes when we think about what that means. You know, we used to think of nations geographically, now missiologists, those who really study the, the spread of the gospel and what needs to take place for the gospel really to get to all peoples. They, they really look at nations here as people groups. Because you can go into some nations and they, they got multiple, you go into the, the nation of India, they got multiple language groups and castes, and, and they just don't move between those. It's like nations within a nation. And so when you talk about all peoples, you've got to move into all, it, it's, it's many. So, some of us, when we look at the Great Commission, part of our reservation is if I really respond to this, you know, is God's going to send me to, you know, you know Costa Rica, you know, or he's going to send me to, to Rwanda or whatever, and I'm going to have to go, and we get fra- scared, afraid of that. We, we don't, or we're gonna, God's going to send me to the inner city streets of Boston to preach, you know, and, on a, you know, and we get scared by what God might ask us to do because of its scope. It's not just the people who are live in our neighborhood, who look like us, act like us, hold the of the same values of us. And so when we start thinking about all of that, it just kind of scares us a little bit. And so there's also a sense that, that we get intimidated by the nature of the gospel because of its, because of its outcome. It really is the only message that can produce eternal life into a person. There's no other solution that's been given under heaven for the, the, the universality of sin and its spiritual debt except for the message of Christ's death on the cross in our place. And if people don't hear, then that message doesn't get responded to. And that's intimidating to us. But I think ultimately, the reason why it's most intimidating is because it's personal. It's personal. 
You know, most of us would, would be far more comfortable saying, you know what, I'll just drag them along to church and we'll let the pastor do that. You know, if you can even get to that place. Or, you know, or drag them along to my life. We, but he instructs them to go and to make, and they all do. We don't hear all of their stories. We don't know where some of them went, you know, what, what, that kind of thing. We, Thomas and these, they, they, after the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts, they're off the scene. But they're out, they're going. They're, they're, they're making an impact with the good news. There were others gathered there besides just the 11 at this point. They're out. They're telling the story. They're doing, it's personal. It's our responsibility. And with that, it's intimidating. It's intimidating. So most of you are saying, well, thanks, Pastor. I'm just revved up. I'm ready to go, you know. And, and to tell you the truth, I, I think that sense of intimidation is exactly where God wants us to be. It, you know, think about the story of Gideon, right? He's got 30,000 soldiers up against a massive army, whittles it down to 10,000. God even says, you know what, even that 10,000, it can look like you had a significant role in getting this done. So let's, let's refine the groups a little bit more. And they, if you go back and read in the book of Judges, that, you know, the, the way they drank the water, whatever, time they get, first, first cut down, you know, the, the, after the Friday cut at the golf tournament was like, if you're scared, just go home. 20,000 guys leave. 10,000 stay. You know, and then guts, you know, 10,000, yeah, you're way outnumbered, but still, you know, we've got to whittle this down a little bit. So, you know, have the guys take a drink. If they drink this way, put them over here. If they drink this way, go over here. 9,700 over here, 300 over here. Send the 97 home. 9,700 home. Just down to 300. If, if they win now, who, who did it? It's God, right? And that story happens over and over again in, in, in the Scriptures. God wants us to be in a place to say, you know what? If God uses me, it's because God used me. It's not because I got this so figured out. But at the same time, God wants us to have a tremendous sense of strength and confidence in the midst of all of this. And so I want to remind you that as a child of God, you have a position in the family of God that's never going to be taken away from you. You, you, you are... You are joint heirs with Christ. You have the presence of God living within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. You are an ambassador for Christ. And you have tremendous position and strength. Your footing is not slippery. So even though the challenge may be intimidating, in many ways, in Christ, you have a strength that's beyond description. You know, the scripture says, you know, greater is he who's within us than he who's in the world. Some of you know, I, every once in a while I like to read history books. On this break, I read a book on Cicero from Rome since we were going to Rome, and et cetera. But it's interesting to me, you know, you, you'd read some of these history books. You know, I read one about Catherine the Great and others. And, and here, this, this, they'd be at war, right? You know, Russia would be at war with France or some other place or whatever. And they'd still have an ambassador from France who's a part of the court in Russia. You know, and they wouldn't touch that person because they represented the king from the other nation. There's a way in which you and I, because of our position in Christ, we, we live in some hostile territory, but in many ways, there's nothing they can do to us 
that's really going to take away anything that's going to matter for eternity. We also have a power that's beyond description. You know, you, Jesus says, you know, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know, and, and, and we have a power within us that allows us to overcome the intimidation, tap into the resources of God, and actually be used to see somebody come to know Christ. And less than 5% of believers ever have the privilege of having that happen. Statistics show that really only one out of about 20 believers ever leads anybody to Christ. Interesting challenge. We also have the presence of God with us. You know, Jesus said, I am low, I am with you always. You're never doing this alone. Never, ever, ever are you doing this alone. And lastly, you actually have the product to offer. Why is it so strange? Why, why is it so hard for us to believe that the person that we're going to share our faith with is going to reject it? I mean, did you reject it when I'm shared with you? Now, I know, Bob, it took about... 1963 times before he said respond to the gospel but you know isn't it great to be the person who does it the 1963rd time right but you know what why is it that we've experienced it we don't have to make this stuff up it's not like we have to memorize it out of a book we know what god has done within us we we know the impact that he's had we know the peace that he's brought the joy that we have why is it so hard for us to be convinced that we can say, you know what? Let me tell you about what God did in my life. See, the love of God leads us to love the things that God loves. The love of our neighbor leads us to have a tremendous burden for where they are spiritually. When you mix those things two to, together, it creates faithfulness to the mission that God has given us to give away the good news that in Jesus Christ. You know, and so one of the things I want us to hear this morning, as we get ready to kind of move out of the summer, and, and listen, I, I embrace the summer as much as any of you. Summer, summer's a different time for us, but we're getting ready to turn the corner. A lot of things are going to be good. Ministry's going to start. We need to make sure we keep at the center. Not all the activity, but the mission of going and making disciples with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's a task that's mine, and it's a task that's yours, and it's a task that's ours. Let's pray together. Perhaps some of you, you were here this morning, and you're, you're hearing this word gospel and good news and all that kind of, and you have no idea what that's really all about. Just in a, in a spirit of prayer, just let me share with you that it is our conviction that God intervened personally in human history through the person of his son who died in our place on a cross. And because of his personhood as God was able to satisfy all the debt of sin for all eternity. And that solution can be applied to our lives through faith in him. And with that, we're turned into brand new creatures who are fully forgiven now and forever and get to spend eternity with God here and in the life to come. That, if that's an experience that 
you've got questions about and the one you've not had or whatever, boy, we really welcome the conversation. You can, you can find me after the service. I'd love to chat with you. I'll point you to somebody who can, who can fill you in and get you all those kinds of good things. But here's a moment, a moment of choice. And I invite you in the name of Christ to choose. Father, we stand before you as people who are your children. We know you love us. We know you care about us. We we know you're with us. And that you're working within us. God, we, we confess to you that we find some of the things that you've asked us to do with our lives pretty scary, pretty intimidating. But Father, in these moments, we seek to muster enough courage to say yes to you. That we could be the one who extends friendship to someone else. Maybe somebody's new to our church. Maybe somebody's, it's, it's new in our neighborhood, new at work. That we extend friendship. That would be a means of sharing the faith and offering the spiritual community in which they can really learn and grow and experience all that you have for them. God, let us take that mission to heart ourselves. Sometimes we want to say, well, I'll leave that to the extroverts, or I'll leave that to the elders and the deacons, or the life group leaders, or whatever. And God, just bring it home to all of us that this is a privilege that you've given to every single one of us. God, make us a church that's faithful in the great commandments and faithful in the great commission. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.